Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio. It's that time of the night. So, I've explained this before at this time of the night. Jane never tells me who the guest is until about 20 minutes beforehand. She hands me a piece of paper and she thinks that's exciting <laughs> because I'm in the dark as much as everybody else. And I think it's exciting as well because then I'm just as surprised to hear the story. And tonight, we've got a good one for you. If you've seen the Netflix documentary called The Psychopath Life Coach, have you seen that? Anyone seen the, the Netflix documentary? It's called The Psychopath Life Coach. I've seen the trailer for it. I can't remember actually watching it, but there you go. The Psychopath Life Coach. You will know who Lewis Raymond Taylor is. And he is the Psychopath Life Coach. And he joins us now to discuss his incredible life and incredible work. Lewis, hi, how are you? Hello, thanks for the introduction. I'm great, thanks, how are you? And by the way, I, I, I watched the trailer for the show and I've, I've read up a few bits and pieces of it. Well done, by the way, um, for taking your life from one extreme to the other and now you're a very successful businessman and wealthy multimillionaire. So well done, congratulations. Thank you. Well, I'm very pleased to be... Um given a nice warm um, welcoming based off the trailer because the trailer in itself is quite uh, sensationalized and uh, you know designed to capture people's attention and it doesn't really do it when netflix do that they, the yeah, well, yeah netflix do that expertly <laughs> i have to be honest with you but despite exactly. yeah i mean if we can go back back in time as well you know despite suffering sexual abuse mental illness addiction mm -hmm. bereavement a lot of financial debt a suicide attempt, and even spending multiple times in prison, which you did, we'll come to that again in a few minutes as well, you managed mm -hmm. to get yourself into a situation now where you transformed your life and you're now being featured in Forbes uh, as an entrepreneur and a TEDx speaker as well and owning your own 25 million coaching empire. Go back to the start if you can. When did the bad stuff oh, really wow. start for you? Yeah. Well, I'll try and do a summary of it because obviously we don't have so long to discuss it and it is a long one, which is why the documentary is an hour and a half and even that sort of, um, you know, the highlights and or the lowlights, I guess you could say. But, um, yeah, I grew up in a, in a bit of a dysfunctional family where my dad was an alcoholic and he would put me down a lot and he'd, you know, call me names. Um, it also hit me and my mum was very emotionally uh, disconnected. She, was, she came from a background where, you know, you don't cuddle or, each other you love you so I didn't really get that emotional support. and she didn't she didn't question your father's authority obviously because that was the way it was I suppose yeah that's just the way it was yeah. um yeah I, do, I don't think we knew much different I think back then you know corp, corporal punishment be you know giving yeah. your child a few hits was normal so yeah. that was the environment I grew up in um and I was just a bad kid you know it's just how it started bad behavior and you know I'd light fires I'd I'd, I'd you know, smash windows. I would, um, you know, do those sorts of bits and pieces like fires. Um, but really what I was doing was trying to get attention. And I, I was trying to get attention from my dad, really, because in hindsight, I just wanted to be loved by my dad, but you don't know that when you're a kid and you're just reacting to things. And um, I also found that I wanted to do some acting, singing and dancing. That was something that I thought I could get some attention in. And I started doing that. And then I was sexually abused there. So that really sort of put things up you know, I went off the rails even more. Mm -hmm. um, that was when I was going into secondary school. So you were about um, 12 or 13 years of age at that stage? 
Yeah, and then and at that, that time I just you know started doing smoking cannabis and started getting in trouble with um, the school. I eventually got expelled at an ASBO. I don't know if you have that over in Ireland, but in the UK. It's oh, we know we know what that order. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what that's for? JLOs they call them. Yeah. JLOs, right? Okay, so they had one of those, and then yeah, things just progressed, and I, I was, you know, getting this reinforced message over and over again that I was bad because I was doing bad things, and I was getting labelled as bad, and I was bad, you know, and because of that, it was, it felt like this identity and this character, and that was the person I was, and that was that, and things would just get worse and worse, and the progression of drink and drugs um, would just make me more mentally unstable, uh, would make me act out more aggressively, I started to fight. Um, and that's when I started to go to get sent to prison. And I went to a young offenders institution when I was just 18. Wow. What was what was that like, by the way? Were you scared? Or were you, were you a tough guy? To be guy? honest, I had this really warped... No, it wasn't that I was a tough guy necessarily at the time. And that was when I was just starting to fight, really. I felt quite paralysed my whole life from uh, my dad hitting me and not feeling like I could hit him back. And it was only when sort of later on in life that I realised I could fight back and um, mm. sort of became that tough guy, if you like. But... There was always this sort of strange, warped perspective over who I was and what I needed to do to to be somebody. And and prison at that time strangely felt as though I was doing something with my life. So there was a strange, warped sense of excitement and pride that came with that. If I'm being totally honest, yeah, this with, is with this you. is this is what um, I was meant to be. This is this is what I'm meant to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is me. This is a, people like me. This is where we go. And uh, my my friends are going to be, you know, thinking this is, you know, I don't know, giving me points for this. So it was, but it was difficult in there. I mean, it, young offenders institution is not a place you want to be. You know, everyone wants to get more time added to their sentence. You know, to brag about it, and people want to, you know, prove themselves. And yeah, there there are a lot of fights in there, and it is a rough place to be. But um, and what, what, by the way, what what did your dad? think of of you i mean did they kind of disown you at that point in your life that you were when you were in the others yeah. yeah pretty much i mean yeah they used the frame uh the um the saying ring fenced which i'd never actually heard of before but ring fence essentially made a yeah, fence okay. around me yeah to, to stop me from uh affecting because i was i was selling drugs at this point and i was also getting my brother to sell drugs for me he was younger than me so i was having my 15 year old brother yeah. And drugs for me, so I was affecting my my for my family, and they just essentially cut me off, kind of thing. Yeah. Um. Um. And then throughout the time of sort of my more drug addicted years, my dad ended up getting cancer, and I walked in, found him dead. To add to the wow list of traumas. How, um, by the way, how did you feel about that? This man that treated you so badly mm, when you walked in and found yeah. him dead was there an, an element of relief to it well, as well um, as bereavement? Not immediately. I think like late, like later on, I, I really do think I was able to grow. It's going to sound really ruthless, but I, I really was able to grow with him kind of out of the picture because he was this big weight. Um, you know, he used to call me stupid and a buffoon and tell me I never amount to anything. And I believed him and I was scared either way. I was scared yeah. I was either going to prove him right or I was scared that I was going to prove him wrong. <laughs> whichever, so, you were on the losing team, whichever you did really, weren't you? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So later on, I can look back and sort of be like, I was able to grow when I when I had this sort of runway and this, you know, without you, that. I mean, here's a stupid question, um, Lewis. Did you love him? I did love him, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah I did love him, but but love is love is a strange thing, especially you know with the title. Uh, yeah, psychopath life coach, which we we should probably explain. So when I was eighteen, um, I was um, I I I felt like I got some significance and some attention through fighting. You know, so I started to fight more, and I started to win some fights, and I started to feel strong, and I started to get recognition from people, and you know, and and it kind of filled that void inside, which is I think a lot of people could probably relate to that, but yeah. probably never admit to that. But yeah, um, there's a reason why people go out and fight. It's not because they want to get blood in their hands. It's because it gives them some sort of power, feels yeah. some kind of need. Yeah, yeah, power exactly. And I was taking my power back and I was doing that. And it got to the point where I was committing some serious crimes. I don't know if you have the same, um, if you have GBH over there. Jeb, Grievous, yeah, Grievous Badly Harm, yeah. 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 So I had a, a few of those. Um, but luckily I didn't get sent to prison. I was kind of on remand on trial. Um, I always looked well presented. I could put a suit on and look pretty. Um, yeah. I could, I could slip under the radar. So I was able to stand on, um, not go down to not go to prison and wait for my sentence. And, and during that time, they sent me for a pre-sentence report, and it was where probation kind of analyse your home life and you and kind of make a recommendation to the court as to how long you're going to get in prison or what sort of order you should get. And uh, she sent this, the lady sent me for a psychiatric assessment, and I just thought it was part of the process, but it turned out it, it wasn't. It was because she just noticed that I didn't show any empathy or remorse or mm. significance of what I'd done or what. And she was like, Lewis, because at one point she said, Lewis, you're looking at eight years in prison for these crimes. I said, oh, I don't care. Yeah. And she said, I'm also recommending you for an IPP, which is an indefinite public protection order, which is a life sentence. You won't be released from prison until you're deemed safe to be released. It's the same one Charles Bronson's got, who's been in there for over 40 years. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't get that. Wow. It's been since abolished. But but I, it just went straight over my head. And I um, she sent me for a psychiatric assessment, and uh, the, the psychiatrist diagnosed me with an antisocial personality disorder. And I Googled it, and it came up with a psychopath. So a psychopath isn't actually a clinically diagnosed term, but it's more of a label that's given to people that have these antisocial personalities. Yeah, disorders. there's a massive stigma to the label, isn't there? I mean, when, when you, when you hear is, the yeah. word psychopath, you start thinking about serial killers. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. you'd actually find that I've actually recently done some, uh, some studying on it, and 33% of CEOs are psychopaths. Right. Staggering amount. Yeah, well, I suppose yeah. When you look at people population. like yeah, when you look at people like Steve Jobs, and we we all know the story of Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, he was probably a yeah. psychopath. I mean, he was. So... Oh, he, yeah, I've read his book. He, yeah. uh, he well, the book that was written about him, and he disowned his daughter from birth. That's right. Yeah, like that, well, she will not help me. Yeah. with my mission, and some so he wouldn't even pay maintenance for his own daughter. Good. That's right. He would, and and not only that, he treated yeah. his employees like dirt. You know, mm-hmm. people who got him yeah. to where he was. So you are right. A lot of CEOs, and and they do say that to be successful, sometimes in business, you got to be mean to people. Now I don't always agree mm-hmm. that that's the case, but I'm sure there are some good employers. No. I think you, I think there's. I mean, you have to be assertive. You have to make decisions. I mean, it might not always be favorable for certain people, but if it's for the greater good, then someone's got to make them. Yeah, but isn't it hard? It's, it's hard, I suppose. Of being mean. Yeah, it's hard to sit in an office and tell someone they're fired. You know, if they're a nice person. Mm. You've got to be a t- certain type of person to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. I mean, Elon Musk recently, would he let go of, I think, you know, 40,000 Twitter employees, didn't he? Or something? Yeah, well, he didn't have to do it. That's the difference. He just makes the decision. <laughs> he doesn't have to sit yeah, in the yeah. office and say, listen, you're on your last legs there. Goodbye. But, yeah, okay, so what, what age were you now at this stage when you, when you got that diagnosis? 
Uh, 18. Okay. Um, but I didn't think anything of it. You know, I just thought, you know, because I just thought, you know, this is some maybe two shoes who's looking at my life and looking at it and thinking this guy must be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I didn't actually think I had anything wrong with me or, you know, I did that in quote marks, but I didn't have any disorders. Um, but, I, you know, love is an interesting thing and a lot of emotions are quite interesting to me because they, they definitely feel different to a lot of other people's. I would say they are, they are shallower than most people's and I don't know whether that's, it could come from a number of places. It's that whole nature and nurture conversation, yeah. is it? Mm. it? It could have come from birth. It could have come from trauma. It could have come from not being emotionally nurtured as a, as a young child and not learning to express those feelings properly. Um, or it could come from this disorder that I developed or had from birth or whatever, or a combination of them all. I don't really know, but I do sometimes observe myself compared to other people, and I, and I do notice a difference. Mm. And do emotions you, do you, for me um, are, are definitely on the lower. Do you get social cues, for example? I mean, they often say that psychopaths don't see social cues, so they don't understand empathy, or they don't they don't understand when somebody when they're hurting somebody's feelings, or they don't get those social I, cues. Do you, do you get those? I don't think that's as as I understand it. That's not necessarily so much the case. I think they do get it. They just ignore don't it. Feel it. They 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 can yeah. They, they they see it. They can understand it. They can intellectualize it. So, for example, for me. Um, I can understand someone's pain more than I can feel their pain. Yeah, I can get sense. it. Yeah, um, no, that just I makes can, sense. Yeah. I can, and I can, I can, and I also need to receive love in a way that is visible. You know, I, it's, you know, I, I will make a calculation as to whether somebody loves me or not, as, rather than feeling a warm fuzzy feeling so much. Yeah. Okay. So, I, by the way, are you in a relationship now? Yeah, I'm married. Okay. So, little, so, little do you, baby. so, so, are you into public displays of affection? <laughs> because yeah, because yeah, of I that, am, I am, of course, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and I do, and I, and I do. Yeah, I'm like love, that too. I just don't know if, yeah, I just don't think it's um as much as some people because it's a, like I said, it's it's a spectrum, and you've got empaths, which are people that are so consumed by emotions to the point where they can they watch a film and they cry, or they hear someone's story and they're absorbed by it and they can't get it off their mind for two weeks. You know, it's mm. you've got that person. And then you've got the psychopath that could, you know, kill somebody and then go to, you know, go to sleep. Yeah. And then you've got a whole range of people in the middle. Um, I believe I am on that spectrum somewhere. Um, whether or not that, you know, deems me a psychopath or not, whether or not that deems me an antisocial personality disorder or not. There's even people that since the documentary have messaged me and think I'm autistic. But these are all labels. You know, we're yeah, all course, very yeah. individual in the way we are, and it could be a combination of things or. Um, but I, but I did definitely notice some some differences. But yeah, I I, I love. I can feel love. Um, I can feel emotions. They just have to be significant. They have to be obvious. I remember when I first met my wife. I said, "Look, if you if you if you're going to love me, you need to really show it to me, because I'm not going to I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to." But that I was I was reading about this recently, and and that's a male thing, by the way, as well as anything else. Like for example, okay, <laughs> you know, women, you know, show love differently to men, or women feel loved mm-hmm. differently to men. When a man, when a woman wants or has sex with a man, he feels loved. It's it's physical, um, but a woman mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily have to have sex to feel loved. Whereas men mm. show their emotion by having sex or by giving a hug or by so men are different to women in that respect anyway. But you are obviously on the on the extreme end of that as well, where you have to feel or see the physical love. Yeah, and sex is one of them actually because it was one of the closest sort of 
sensations of a feeling that I could get. So I, I would chase those intense feelings, which is why I used to gamble or take drugs or fight. And, you know, it's because it would, it would stimulate me. And it's, it's now why I'm into business and it's, mm. and, you know, it's, it, I'm satisfying those kind of stimulatory uh, urges to in, in an attempt to feel as much as I possibly can because it, it, it can feel quite flat. I mean, during during that tough time as well, obviously there was you had a suicide attempt. What what happened at that point that you mm. you felt that there was no way out? So I was uh, eighteen, and it's when I started to drink, and um, I'd got into my first relationship. And um, I tell you what, I've had a, a load of traumas in my life, but heartbreak's definitely up there oh, yeah. <laughs> because, mm-hmm. uh, especially your first, because you don't quite understand it. You feel like your world's over, and when I uh, sort of found this girl it can it at the time i thought to myself you know what maybe i'm not quite as bad as i thought maybe i am lovable maybe i'm not the stupid you know person dad's making me out and she's kind of seeing this different side of me that no one's seen before and then one night a year into our relationship she told me she cheated on me and i i literally saw red and blacked out um and maybe this is some of the psycho in me <laughs> but um yeah the next thing I know, I'd smashed her kitchen up. I pulled a pulled a drawer out, and I dropped the drawer on the floor. And I didn't even mean to do it, but my my hand picked up and just sliced both sides of my neck, and I clipped an artery oh, in my neck. God. And essentially, slit my own throat. Um, and I was sectioned under the Mental Health Act. So this is another obviously um, a reason as to why these mental health conditions start to stack up in terms of their plausibility. Um, but yeah, I was interestingly enough just released the next day there, and it was sort of chalked up to just sort of a drunken teenage um, rampage argument or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And throughout the years, I was also diagnosed with bipolar and also uh, emotionally unstable personality disorder. I was given um, antipsychotic medication. Um, yeah, things. things and, and are you controlling? Can you control all of that now? I mean, what's the likelihood of? And I hope your wife never cheats on you. Um, but what's it like yeah. if your marriage ever broke down or you didn't mm. get the love you expect or whatever it is, you know, or mm. you didn't get the success that you expect? I, I imagine success goes hand in hand with all of that as well. Or something goes wrong. Mm. What's the likelihood of you resorting back to that 18 year old again? It's very unlikely because I've got so much awareness. Back then I was actually on autopilot. I definitely don't have uh, bipolar or, or um, the emotionally unstable personality disorder. Mm. I think that was... Well, that was misdiagnosis, and it was, it was just you know one session with a psychiatrist, and then chucking a label on me. And uh, I think the closest one is the antisocial personality disorder because I do notice that one even now. I've developed my life, even now I've got clean and sober, even though it's been eight years since I've been, you know, came out of prison. Yeah. I still notice some of those traits and some of those attributes to that disorder. Um, but I've got so much awareness now, and I've and I've uncovered and resolved so many of my traumas and don't feel like that bad mm. unlovable traumatized kid anymore so i wouldn't need to react and you know what and i'd be able to bring in children into your well, world as well that makes a huge difference doesn't it of course yeah yeah i've got to be a role model now and i want to break that yeah pattern you know i know that my dad didn't have a great relationship with his dad he told me he hated his dad so yeah i, I know that this is probably some generational trauma that's happening here so yeah the generational trauma ends here with me. So when when did your luck turn around? Because I want to get to the point now where you're now for, featured in Forbes as an entrepreneur. You're a mm-hmm. TEDx speaker and you're worth 25 million. Mm. So how do you go from mm. being an 18-year-old renegade uh, and lunatic, mm. essentially, 
to being an, a, you yeah. know, a multimillionaire with a successful business. Yeah. When, what was that point? Well, when, was, well, when was that day? Well, I was 24 years old and I had my last fight. I was outside a taxi queue and some guy shouted in my face. It reminded me, it's no excuse, but it reminded, my, reminded me of my dad to the point that, that I don't even remember what the guy looked like because all I can see is my dad right now pointing in my face. That's how much he triggered me. But no excuse whatsoever. And, you know, didn't, didn't deserve what I did. But I, I punched him and he hit his head on the ground. And he had a brain hemorrhage, and I and I got sentenced to prison um, for GBH again. Um, and I rang up my friend when I went to prison, and I said, "What are people saying about me?" And he said, "You're on the front page of the paper." I said, "Okay, I don't care about that. What else are people saying?" He said, "Well, there's a your, your friend has posted a picture on social media." One picture is you outside court the day you were sentenced, and one picture was you outside the exact same courtroom seven years before, but with the caption above it, nothing changes. Mm. And that was actually the sort of the moment where I realized that nothing had changed in those seven years. I was doing the same things over and over again, expecting a different result. And if you've heard of that saying, yeah, uh, I'm not going to quote it as my own because I think it's an Einstein quote, but um yeah, it's the definition of insanity is doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. And I was doing the same things over and over again and expecting a different result. I didn't want that for my life, but I kept on ending up back there. And I realized that nothing had changed. So as cliche as this might sound, well, I always think it sounds cliche, but this is maybe not normal for other people's lives. But I went back to my prison cell and I looked in the mirror and I really had a good look at myself. And um, I just I just made a decision to change my life. I'd never, I'd never looked at, no, no, sorry not my life, myself, because I'd never really took responsibility. I'd never really realized that I was the person that needed to change. I blamed everything and everyone around me for why my life was so difficult. And in all honesty, I didn't think change was possible. But when he said nothing changes, I kind of thought, oh, wow, yeah, nothing has changed. I'm the problem. But in realizing I was the problem, I kind of thought that I could also be the solution. And this sounds a bit cheesy, but it's genuine, genuinely yeah. the truth. And I latched on because I've got this obsessive compulsive personality as well. With the, the addict in me, yeah, I've been addicted to everything you can imagine to the extreme, you know, yeah, um, and I just become quite addicted to, to changing myself, and I, I just accessed all the services that are available. I didn't think there were any. I, w- I was one of those people that were like no one wants to help me. Everyone's out to get me. Yeah, it's everybody else's fault, not mine. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but then, but then, immediately I started seeing counselling and a rehab program and a gym and a library and maths and English lessons, all in, inside prison. And I, I just started trying them out. And I did uh, the rehab, six-week rehab program inside there. Um, and that taught me so much. I thought, wow, this stuff actually works. Because I, I can notice changes in myself. And like I said, I didn't think anyone was going to – I could change. I thought if there was anyone that was going to change, it wasn't going to be me. Even my mum said, we, know, we, we all know that Lewis is not going to make old bones. You know, he's going to – you know, die young essentially because he's he's the way he is. But I noticed some changes and I sort of got latched onto it and I just wanted more. So I carried on, did some maths and English in, in prison. That was the first bit of education I'd done since I was expelled from school at 15 and passed the test and set myself a goal to go to university. And then um, during one of the, the rehab, this is a six week rehab program, Someone came in and did this guest speaking talk 
about going and doing a more extensive rehab program. And it was a six month program and I had to do it after my release. And I thought to myself, right, I could go back to my old town. Hope, hope that I'm changed enough to be able to develop my life or I can go and do this rehab program down by the coast, down by the sea, completely different life. I, I, I live sort of close to the city and, um, and really, really make some changes and, you know, make sure I don't slip back into addiction and all that sort of stuff. So I, I did, and I applied for that and I got accepted. It was a 20,000 pound, uh, rehab program. Yeah. And they picked me up from the gates of prison down to the rehab and they, and I thought it was going to be like a retreat, you know, a lovely yoga, mindfulness <laughs> meditation or something. Yeah. It was absolute torture. I'll tell you what, I'd have preferred to be in prison. They, um, they just broke me down and, and built me back up. Um, it was 24 hour therapy. Um, cause I thought they was going to teach me to not drink and not take drugs, but actually they didn't mention that no. almost once it was, it was about me and why I felt the need to, to use those external substances to fix the internal problems, you know? Um, and I, and I walked out there and I had my head clear, um, for the first time in my life, I started volunteering. I signed on for benefits, you know, like the doll, I don't know if you call it the doll, yeah. but support allowance. Um, and then I started uh, going to AA meetings and narcotics anonymous meetings. And I just started to help people and I started to help people for free as well. So I would see people online that looked a little bit depressed and I'd say, Hey, do you want to come meet me for a coffee? And then I would just help them. And I just, I realized that I learned so much from changing my own life and getting clean and also from other people's experiences yeah. as well, because sitting in rehab, sitting in AA meetings and learning people's relapses and denials and triggers and traumas and setbacks and limiting beliefs and stories in their head, you, you know, I, you learn a lot and I was helping people and I realized that I was really good at it. And you could make, you know, and you could make money cliche, out of it. <laughs> Yeah, well, that that wasn't my first thought. So no, no, I know, I know. You want you wanted to make other people feel the way you felt, and you wanted to help other people to change their lives and do what you mm. did and show them how easy. Well, not how easy it was because it certainly wasn't easy. Yeah, but how that it was possible. It was, yeah. So you wanted to do that, and I suppose turning that into a business then was the next step. Well, this, yeah, and this is like eight years ago as well. And I mean, I started the, the you know, because. I thought, yeah, I could be a life coach, actually. I did some online research. First of all, I called myself a personal development mentor. This is before the big sort of coaching boom. Um, and if, if, if indeed you know about the boom, I might be so immersed in it. I feel like it's boomed and you might not mm. even know that. But um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot more coaches now than there were before. Yeah. I think the coaching masters actually had a big impact on that. I've, I've talked to so many life coaches. Now, none of them as interesting as you, by the way. <laughs> Uh, but but I but I've talked to so many life coaches on the air, and some of them they're really good. They've interesting information, but some of them are just people who've had experiences in life. You know, I'm. Mm. Uh, but, but yours is it just? It's an extraordinary story. It it really is. I don't mean mm. to minimize by calling it a story because it's your life. It's not just a story. Of course, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm looking on your your website. It says my mission is to bring awareness to coaching so people can raise their children in a safe and nurturing way, which I completely agree with. By the way, I can achieve this by sharing my story, delivering training that has taken thousands of people and coaching elite coaches to achieve. Uh, exponentially growth and uh, the, and in their business, so they can spread the power of coaching across the globe with me. And underneath that, it says business valuation twenty five million, paying customers eight thousand, country served eighty five. Well done. <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah, because this was before 
the pandemic. This was before online business. And my first sort of trial at life coaching was going to a networking meeting and drinking a cup of coffee with four people in a room and giving out a business card. And I thought, this is not going to work. And I, what I didn't realize is because of all these years of thinking I was stupid, I'd never even tried to use my brain. So I realized that I had a, a knack for business. I just, just randomly stumbled upon it, really. And just had this intuitive understanding of how social media and the online world works. And I just thought, why is everyone trying to get clients in the real world when you can just access millions of them online? Yeah. So I started doing some simple marketing strategies like sharing my story and reaching out to people and, you know, creating a website and things like that. And Podcasts. started getting clients that way and delivering the sessions online. So yeah. doing a, you know, I was doing Facebook video calls and Skype calls way before Zoom even existed, you know, doing my sessions and getting clients from Australia and America and things like that. And, you know, it was, it was revolutionary at the time. And, and then I started to scale up and create digital products and courses and membership sites and using the technology to be able to share the value that I had with more people and make obviously more money in the process. Mm -hmm. But the, the real honest truth of it is just the, the, the product was amazing. You know, the, our courses that we deliver are life-changing. And, you know, that's the key to any business. Of course, you've got to have savvy marketing tech and, you know, technology skills and be a visionary and all those things. But it all comes down to if you've got something good to sell and, and people want to buy it, they will. So, you know, our, our, our course, because now what we do, our core business now is, is involved so, so yeah. high in a sense where we, we, we don't even necessarily do the coaching anymore. We actually train life coaches. So yeah. we will provide people with the, the, the qualifications and the accreditations they need to become a life coach and then help them build the business and then help them go out and help other um, people, you know, thousands of people throughout their career. So we have a big ripple effect that so way. So you're, you're now um, at the top of that yeah. triangle. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, we don't we don't monetize any of the the other things underneath. By the way, it's not it's not like a network marketing. It's not like we take a percentage or anything like that. We're simply education. So yeah. people do our education. Um, they learn how to get the clients, and then some people travel the world and they go and live in Bali. And, and that's no exaggeration. By the way, we even built our own coaching cafe in Bali because there were so many coaches out there. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, we've got a whole coaching cafe out there. Okay, I can amazing. see all the courses cafe here. Um, you know, there's a 12-week intermediary course. There's a 24-week advanced course, a 20-week advanced course, mm -hmm. different types of courses that are all available. And I also see on your website as well, there's a podcast section as well. Is that is that you interviewing people or is that just other podcasters? Yeah, yeah. So that's you interviewing people. Oh, well. no, no. They are, you know, no. So it depends if you're looking at my website or because you've got my website, which is... This is your website, yeah. Look at, yeah. And that's me. But then you've got the coachingmasters.com, which is the which is the business which has its own yeah. trainers, its own whole team. You know, we have a team of about fifty or sixty yeah. uh, people now who sort of run that a lot of the business operations and and the training. And what, is, and what does it feel about. like now? You know, you're talking to me now on the radio. You know, and when you were eighteen, you were yeah. a head case. Okay, now you're talking to me on yeah. the radio, and you're a successful businessman who's been recognised by Forbes as a featured entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. You're a TEDx speaker, and you're worth twenty five million quid. What is that? Does that feel surreal to you now? It it does feel surreal. It's so strange. It's kind of in limbo because, um, yeah, part of me feels like I'm just telling someone else's story because I'm so detached from it because it's so far away. Um, but another part of me feels like I'm just getting started as well because I'm the new part of me, this new 
Lewis or maybe the Lewis that was there all along that I'd never had a chance to sort of give any life to has only recently been born over the last eight years. If that makes sense. Yeah. What do you think? So, your da- what do you think your dad would say if if he was around now? <laughs> yeah, I've been yeah. asked this question before, and um, <laughs> I I would love to say he would think he. Was, I'm sure he would have no other thing. He couldn't not be proud, could he? I mean, he no. would have no. <laughs> he hasn't really got any uh, jealous maybe grounds know. to not be. But I, part of me does kind of feel like he would have something to say because uh, he would seem to find mm. something. I remember my dad. I remember I got a job once. Yeah, sorry, Go sorry. Go, you know, my, my dad said to me when I was, I wanted to work in a record shop at 17 because I just liked music at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad used to always keep saying, he used to sort of organize interviews me and Aer Lingus in the airport because that's what he did, a nine to five job. Oh, yeah. And he said, you're never going to make money being a DJ. That's, that's, yeah, how, yeah. that's <laughs> all he kept saying to me. I ended up being one of the biggest nightclub DJs in the country. Uh, I then moved oh, to radio. Wow. I m- then moved to radio, and I've nine nine international awards now. So I, I, I think he wow. was. I think he was wrong. <laughs> so, so from that yeah, point of view, yeah, he was wrong. Yeah, but um, I, I think he was very proud of him in the end. He died about seven years ago, but I think he was very proud of him in the end. But but I think your dad would be proud of you, but maybe a little bit jealous. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he would. Yeah, yeah. and and the fact that he's calling me stupid and stuff like that. I mean. Clearly not. Where that come from and why he felt the need to do that? Yeah, clearly not. Yeah, yeah clearly not. And, and I have to say, the website looks great, by the way, as well. If people want to go to it, it's lewisraymondtaylor.com. And that's the website I'm looking at at the moment. It's a fabulous okay. looking website. It's a credit to you. Your business is a credit to you. Your story is a credit to you. Coming from what you were to what you are now is a credit for me. And now I have to watch the Netflix documentary. <laughs> you do. Because you've just, you've only heard a fraction of it, to be honest. And this, there's some controversial twists along the way as well to make it interesting. Yeah, we don't want to give the whole game. You don't want to give the whole game away. away. By the way, before we finish up, what's next for Lewis Raymond Taylor? I'm glad you said that because I'm I'm already sort of, you know, knee deep into new things. Um, So we're we're creating a new education platform that's outside of the coaching arena that's going to be for um, families to help both adults and children because I think there's a real space to help co- a co-learning platform and co-facilitate personal development and growth because yeah. I don't think the education's fit for the modern uh, the education system's fit for the yeah, modern Yeah, there are world. so many parents now People that are. want to educate their children at home and you know homeschooling is, mm-hmm. is becoming more popular now than it ever was particularly after yeah. COVID uh, homeschooling and, and a lot yeah. of people are not happy with some of the stuff they're teaching in school and that's their business or whatever yeah. they feel so they want to educate at home and I suppose anything that would help them do that would be good. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, there's no point teaching the you know, the children if it's not being enforced at home. And there's no point teaching the adults if they're not able to communicate it effectively to the children. So it makes sense to have this, you know, co-facilitated platform where adults and children can learn together within a family household and also, you know, gamify that with incentives and points and tokens. So you might be able to say, um, you know, if we achieved, you know, 15 points by the end of the week, we might get pizza on Friday or whatever that might look like for the yeah. budget of the family. Yeah. So that's what I'm working towards. I'm also working towards um, a uh, doctorate. So I want to, I want to get, you know, really throw myself into education yeah. to be able to have a, um, a really plausible uh, argument for an alternative solution. Uh, you know, I don't want to be misinformed and, you know, be able to, create a, a different syllabus with not going through the traditional um, yeah. academic structure that's laid out at the moment. So 
I'm going on a, a, a big learning journey um, and a big development and diversification of the business and uh, also going to become a dad and see what other fun. Congratulations. Well, I'm a dad, I'm a dad and sort yeah, of let that unfold. Another and... Yeah, another one maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. maybe. Yeah. There are a few. <laughs> but look, yeah. um, I, I, I'm assuming like every businessman, you want to be the next Elon Musk. Um, or, or I don't know. If, mm-hmm. if I, I don't know if I'd want to be worth two hundred forty billion. I don't know. It'd be nice. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, you're already successful, extremely successful. Well done to you. Congratulations and continued success in your career. It's an extraordinary story, and I'm glad all that's behind you. And I know. I don't know. It's difficult to tell that story over and again because obviously it brings back some bad memories too. Um, so it can be a little bit difficult mm-hmm. too. But I, I wish you all the success in the future. And if people want to go to Thank your you. website, by the way, it's lewisraymondtaylor.com. That's lewisraymondtaylor.com. Or just Google them. Or watch the Netflix documentary. It's on Netflix. And the, yeah. next, the, the documentary is called Psychopath, The Psychopath Life Coach. That's him. Um, yeah. Thank you very much indeed. And I really appreciate you coming on talking to us, Lewis. Thank you very much. Just people can also check me out on Instagram as well, at lewisraymondtaylor. And I do respond to messages if anyone needs any help. And just one last thing I would say is, if anything's happened uh, to you in your life and you're feeling like things have happened to you and all this, all these things are stopping you from becoming the person that you want to be, just know that sometimes you can flip and reframe that until, you know, these things are happening for you and they're teaching you things to strengthen you as a person and it doesn't have to hold you back and it doesn't need to be your identity. You can draw a line in the sand at any moment and become a different person and, yeah, you know, I can speak that from experience. So anyway, thank you very yeah. much. No, I, I get it. I get it. The, ba- the bad things don't define you. That's for sure. Now, now, real people, real opinions. Nighttime talk with Niall Boylan. Ireland's classic hits radio.